Hey everybody, I'm going to jump right into the episode with Ed from Psychedelic Milk Podcast because that's really, really exciting. But first, I've got to ask you for a quick favor. If you've got an iTunes account or an iPhone, definitely if you've got an iPhone, go to your podcast app, search for Innerverse Podcast, and leave a five-star review. Please, please, please take 30 seconds or a minute to do this because if you do, then we will be more visible to people who are looking for something to listen to on iTunes. The more reviews we have, that's what makes the algorithm decide, hey, this looks like a pretty good show. I'm going to show it to a lot of people who are searching right now. And then we grow our tribe, and then we all get to, you know, enjoy that. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so go to your iTunes app that has podcasts and search for Interverse Podcast. Leave a five-star review. All right, thank you. Let's get going. Hi, my name is Marina. I'm here today to talk to you about Wanderwear Festival Accessories Shop. I've got handmade, organic, festival fashion, handmade from upcycled and vintage materials. Also carry metaphysical tools to help raise your vibration or expand your consciousness. I've teamed up with Interverse to give back to those of you who listen to this awesome show. Just use the code Interverse, just like it's spelled on the website at my website, wanderwareshop.com, to get 12% off of any of our awesome items. Thank you, Marina. And definitely go look at wanderwareshop.com. There are more things than you can really describe in a quick advertisement. A few of my favorite things are some really badass hat pins. Marina is also an excellent painter and loves to work with the crystal selenite, which is my favorite, my favorite crystal. Um, you can find rune inscribed selenite. You can find selenite embedded into paintings. You can find some really dope hats with wood carvings on the bill. So check out Wanderwear. A 12% discount is a big deal. And I think you'll find something you like on there or something that you can give for a friend. everybody to Interverse. My name is Chance and I'll be your host. This will be season two, episode 10. I consider it to be an extremely like important, remarkable milestone episode for me. There's more than one reason for that, but a big reason is because Ed Liu, today's guest, is kind of a catch for me. I don't mean that like a bromance way. I mean... It's really cool to be connecting with somebody out there that's trying to do the same thing that I am, essentially. Ed is the host of Psychedelic Milk Podcast, and the thing that's the same about us is that our podcasts have a very similar format. We're both pretty open to trying to take on new ideas, and after our conversation, it seems like we definitely have a lot in common on our life philosophies and our habits, even. But if you couldn't tell from the name, Ed's podcast is really about 
expanding consciousness through exploring psychedelics and talking to people that have done a lot of research either on themselves or or perhaps in the context of healing others. If you have any interest in that kind of thing, and if you're listening to a show like this, I imagine you probably do have some interest in psychedelics. I think you should go check out Psychedelic Milk. Find it on iTunes, the podcast app will have it, or Stitcher or anything. If you go check it out through the podcast app on iTunes, leave them a five-star review. But make sure you leave Interverse one first. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't care. As long as you leave somebody a five-star review, I'll be happy. Another remarkable thing about this episode for me is that I, you may have noticed, but I'm launching a Patreon page. What is Patreon? Well, that's kind of a lot to explain because it's also a very different type of thing for different creators and artists. But Patreon is a way that people that like an artist or a creator can pay them directly and receive exclusive content based on how much they're pledging to pay. So basically, from now on, you're going to hear me bring up the Patreon pretty often because there will be a lot of stuff that's happening over there that's not going to be accessible any other way for the podcast. There are a lot of different tiers of rewards that you can get for pledging to the show. It's stuff like exclusive artwork that I create. You can get some really trippy, dope wallpapers for your phone or for your computer that are created by me whenever I'm just messing around in my free time. Uh, feels like I have less and less free time lately. Um, I put really all my energy towards creating this podcast, especially whenever I'm not at work or working out or trying to cook or do chores or like, you know, live my life in a healthy way. So if you wanted to be my hero, if you wanted to be part of the reason why this show is going to become a resource that helps many, many artists in the future, then please go over to patreon.com slash interverse. Pledge me a dollar. That's really not a lot to ask. I feel like anybody could basically pledge a dollar and spend a dollar a month and not even notice they were doing it. If enough of you can pledge a dollar or three or five, and there's really cool stuff at the three and five dollar rewards, I won't have to work a regular guy job anymore. But that's a little ways off. Before that, I have a lot of goals for what I'm going to do with the initial funding that the show gets, including advertising, merch and cool stuff, unique artwork for patrons to get as i'm planning on starting and a featured artist of the month people that pledge at least 15 dollars, they're going to get a pin or a print or some kind of really cool piece of art maybe a shirt every month from somebody that was a guest on the show all these things could be yours but you've got to sign up so go over to my page find all the links to patreon there and uh, check it out there's lots of fun stuff that I'm trying to offer and I'm super open to suggestions about what else I could do with the Patreon to make it better. You probably heard the ad for Wanderwear at the beginning of the show. That's just one of the things that you can get from being a patron. If you go to the higher tiers, you'll actually get advertising placements in the show. I plan to keep this completely listener, like the creative community and listeners, they're going to be the ones that support the show. I'm not going to get advertisements from your your typical standard podcast advertising you know, Targets, Audible, Amazon. I actually can't get them anyway. I actually, because I want this to be like a show for artists to get promoted and to find out about each other, it only makes sense that the only ads will be from people that are creating stuff theirself. So if you've got some things you want to get promoted, you don't really want to go the standard Google advertising route because you don't see the point, why don't you start advertising to this audience? And it's really cheap, by the way, really cheap. Go check it out on Patreon. Mainly, though, I cannot express my gratitude 
enough that you are listening to Interverse. I've been a little under the weather this week, and you might be able to hear it in my voice, but nothing can really slow me down or stop me from wanting to create episodes of this show. Ed was a really gracious person to come onto my show. I know he probably thinks that it's no big deal, just like maybe I would think that if I came on to somebody else's show, but for me it's big because, just like every other episode I make, it seems like, I'm now connecting to a friend that will be you know, an ally in this whole podcasting war for uh, everybody's minds and for positivity and for love and light and all that cool stuff. Expansion. Yay. One more thing before we get on to the show. Uh, you've probably noticed that the music in this episode has been just really smooth, silky, lovely drum and bass beats. All the music for this episode was provided by Low Light, a DMB producer from New York. I will definitely be linking to his SoundCloud page in the episode notes, so don't miss that. Now we're going to get on to Ed from Psychedelic Milk. Thanks for listening. music and uh that's what i used to do so like all the all the stuff that the intro music and like that stuff is all like done in-house by me but that takes a lot of time yeah for sure yeah Yeah. it's hard to uh man tell i'll tell you it's really hard to work full-time and then make something like a podcast and also do something creative like music or art and also read books about spirituality and, and life and barely read books. it's like man like it's it's hard man it's hard to balance that at work and, and pro- podcasting and developing yourself and meditation yoga flow tanks you know having a, you know your family your girlfriend whatever the case may be it's hard dude and i think it's paying off man i mean i had duncan on and huge like, that was that was like that made my made my year, man. It's like, dude, that's crazy. So um, you said it was a transcendent experience in the episode, and I tell you, man, I actually had like a psychedelic experience while I was listening to it. Oh I shit! Did, yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was really high, kind of doing some busy work. But when you guys were talking about dealing with objects in your home and uh, getting rid of things that you don't right. need, 
and how the idea is you pick up something and look at it and be like, does this give me authentic joy? Yes or no. Yeah. Just thinking about that. I felt something going on like in my psyche or in my mind. Like I felt the furniture moving around in the attic. You know know what I mean? Where like some big idea that was there shifts and all of a sudden you can see past it. And so anyway, I went home and got, I was like on the brink of getting rid of some stuff anyway. And I was like, if be about this big box of like old junk electronics and a couple of clothing items that I might donate. And I looked through all of it. And there's only like two things that I actually thought would authentically matter to me. And it was a struggle before I had the whole uh, episode with you and Duncan to listen to and guide me, but it was trippy. It was transcendent because I felt it like this internal energy shift. Yeah. Yeah, man. Whenever you have guests like that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be Duncan Trussell, but it could be somewhere, somebody else that really vibrates in your frequency. And you have that conversation with them. And afterwards you walk away feeling so good, man, because you, you feel lighter. You feel like you've gained something and a lot has also been lifted off your chest or shoulders. And those are the ones that I love, man. It's like, I learned so much. I mean, people tell me to read books. People tell people, some, some asshole (laughs) told me to read more books, dude. Like you gotta learn some new words on my reviews. And I was like, you know what? You're probably right. I should read more (laughs) books, but then, you know, you can read a great book and sometimes you only walk away with like one or two things. But then when you talk to somebody that, you know, you can vibrate with that you can play ping pong with, it's just amazing. There's nothing like, there's nothing like it, dude. In a book, it's a one way conversation. You're just downloading it in. Then in a conversation, like you're, you're giving input and also output as well. So you're almost like synthesizing the two people's um, spirits. Like I, when I have conversations with, this is the whole reason I started podcasting is because I noticed that when I had the con- the right conversation with the right person where we we're in the moment and just conscious, conscious about like just what we were thinking about, what, what is life? What is reality? We'd end up on these crazy, really deep conversations that would lead to epiphanies and right. epiphanies are like one of the things that have always kept me driven in life to move forward. And it took me a while to learn how to like, let go of epiphanies and not be, consumed by them. That's something Duncan just talked about recently. Right. Yeah. Because that, you know, you have to be ready for the next epiphany in the moment. You have to keep yourself almost in that state of like awe and wonder about the present moment. But those conversations with people you're having in those extreme present uh states, you're like, you have a certain amount of data that's inside you and they are a container for a certain set of data as well. And it like comes out in the space between the two of you and synthesizes new ideas. And it also lets you see, um, because of that extra context that's getting added to your perspective, you get to see what you actually think about things. And you'll like, I find myself saying stuff and like explaining beliefs or ideas that I never thought about in that exact way and articulated before, but I know that it's true that I feel that way, but the conversation had to happen for me to even get there. Exactly. Yeah. It's so true, man. And it's, it's worth it at the end of the day when you think about how much time it goes into putting the podcast together and stuff like that. And, and when you have these conversations, man, it's just like, it blows your fucking brain up out of the water, you know? And then sometimes you'll have like shitty guests that, you know, you'll fall asleep during the podcast. Like this happened to me a few times where no. guests are really fucking boring. Like they're getting, like they're great people. Don't get me wrong, but the way that they are 
presenting the information is just like, it's just like really dry and monotone. And I'm thinking, man, like this is a sinking ship. And if I'm falling asleep, <laughs> like what about the audience, you know? So there's, there's, it happened a few times, but it's going to happen from time to time. But the times where, when it's good, it's like, holy shit, dude, it's, it's amazing. So have you ever had like a psychedelic experience when podcasting? Cause it was so good because you kind of mentioned the Duncan one being transcendent, but me personally in podcasts before I found myself all of a sudden being like really, really extremely overstimulated by everything that was going on and not like in a way that caused me anxiety or anything, but just where all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, like it was almost like I could feel the gravity of, um, a hundred or 200 people listening to it. You know what right. I mean? It's really weird. It's hard to describe. It's like, you just feel all of a sudden, like really present and you're like, Oh wow, this is happening now. Right. I've never had that, um, precisely because how you're too high. <laughs> I have, I've had a transcendental experience with Corey Allen. Uh, we, we recorded and the guy is a well of knowledge and he just drops it on you with no foreplay. He just like, boom. And I was not ready for it. And it kind of took me back to that psychedelic state where I was like, holy shit, man, you're changing the paradigm right now. Like the way you're pointing out something that's really obvious, but then I don't see it all the time. And when, when, when you pointed it out, I start to see it every day now and it affects me every fucking day. And I have to, to thank for that. And you know what? We actually recorded another episode I didn't put it out yet. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, he's a great guy. You should have him on your show, man. He's a, an amazing, amazing guy to have on your show. He's just like, like the way he thinks about things and the way that he, he presents it is really, really interesting. He is kind of monotone though. Um, but he was not the guy I was talking about. He does have like a monotone. I've enjoyed him on Aubrey Marcus's podcast enough times to know that he would be cool to have on. And then, you know, another thing that's kind of psychedelic about starting to follow like your higher purpose or your soul's path or whatever you want to call it is how you'll have these opportunities that come up exactly at the point that you make yourself ready for it. Anytime before, but like you also, you were mentioning in, um, I think the Duncan episode also, or no, it was the episode with us. What's her name? Reed. Jessica Reed. Jessica Reed. Yeah. yeah, she was so cool. Um, talking about the communities idea, mm-hmm. uh, and it, like you, you know, you need to like make a connection with a larger tribe, and uh, yeah. I, it made me have that like, oh yeah, I need to get myself into the conversation. I need to establish that I'm not doing this like as a beginner or amateur, even though I've only been doing it a year. I need to change like the whole look and feel of everything I'm doing and my own mindset to that. I'm here to stay. I'm going to be a part of the conversation about um, a lot of things. And, you know, there's, there's no reason to like hold my own self back based on the idea that I'm a beginner or something. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that, that plus the Duncan episode with the furniture and the possessions and getting rid of that stuff those two things combined, it's like double Corey Allen moment for me, just out of the couple episodes I've listened to of psychedelic milk. So you're doing a good job. Thanks man. I appreciate it a lot. It definitely feels good to have you say that because like, I don't, to me, I think I'm fucking up all the time. Like I don't, I'm not the best guy to, you know, compose words together. Like I'm not a wordsmith. I have a couple of words in my vocabulary that I use way too much. And 
I should probably read more books, but, um, but yeah, it, it means a lot to me that you, you like the podcast, dude. It's, uh, it's great. And it's also awesome to talk to people like you, people like Corey, people like Duncan, just about my favorite subjects, you know, like these are mm-hmm. my favorite subjects of all time. And I wish there was more people around me in real life that I could talk to you about this, but um, it's, they're hard to find, you know, most people, they don't get into this stuff. They're really shallow on, on the material realm, I guess, you know, but you talk to them about some deeper shit. Like they think you're weird or they, you know, they just don't want to get into it. And we might not have really got it into the beginning of the episode because I kind of have a tendency to just start with, I ask a few questions that aren't going to be in the episode and then we just start talking and I never say welcome, but you're, you know, we're going obviously. Cool, man. <laughs> if that's cool <laughs> with you. Um, but yeah. we might not have caught the fact that you're over in Hong Kong right now. So that does put sort of uh in some ways, maybe like weakens the cultural oppression of things about the West, but then there's a whole nother set of cultural issues over there, I bet. I've never been, but I would just have to assume that the, you know, planet Earth is not healthy. So most places probably aren't fully healthy. Well, you know what, man, to be honest, over here, it, it is the West um, in many ways. Really? Because the way we do things here is pretty much the same that we do things in the States or in Europe or in any industrialized country. As a matter of fact, it might be worse. It's very materialistic. Um, There's probably the most materialistic place um, next to New York or Los Angeles and uh, Tokyo. Probably right up there, top five, probably. And people get worked here, man. Like they work nine to five, nine to six, nine to seven jobs. And uh, the way of thinking, the, the way people do things, the way that people carry themselves, they're very um, <coughs> Western minded. And the East is what I'm, what I think about the East is people, places like India or places like, um, they're not so industrialized and not so city. But over here, it's, um, it's, it's, it's too industrialized and there's too much people. And the people live in 60 foot, apartment buildings, you know? So it is, it, it has its own problems and it is pretty too populated. And, but I think man, over here, it's a great place to develop your yourself and to learn about people, learn about life, learn about, you know, how to deal with adversity, deal with overpopulation and bad air and things yeah. like that. Because you know what? It's easy to, to live in a cave and li- live in the forest and live in somewhere in Colorado where you can see the Rocky mountains and you know, it's nice air. You can have a mansion for a cheap price. You can, it's easier to do that. You know, it's not hard. It's another thing to live in say New York city or Hong Kong in a, you know, a hundred foot apartment building and deal with crazy strangers every day. That's when, the real practice begins. That's when a rubber meets the road. That that made me think kind of uh, like Buddha didn't have to deal with a lot of the shit that we have to deal with. (laughs) Buddha was just out there like walking through the fields and everything was a lot nicer. Well, the thing is like in the beginning of his life, he was a prince, right? He was all pampering. Right. And then he got out and he saw the suffering and he saw what people were going through. And that's when he developed into the Buddha. So I really believe that if we stay at home, 
meaning in your comfort of your own home and in in denials in some aspects and not to see the real world, then you're not really experiencing this incarnation to its fullest. You have to really take a look at what's going on and, and see the other side. If you're living in a great place, that's awesome, man. Don't move. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend you moving to New York city or moving to Hong Kong, but if you do live here or move here, you'll experience something that you might not ever experience. And then also you're, you're going to see it as a teacher as well. Like you're not going to do that in the beginning. In the beginning, it's going to be rough. It's going to be, it's going to be horrible at the beginning. It's really hard to get used to, but then it's, as time goes on. And if you have enough awareness, you'll begin to recognize that it is a teacher. It is a guru because in the beginning, when I first moved to, when I first moved here, it was really hard, man. Like it was, I lived in Hawaii for a long time. I was originally from here in Hong Kong. And after college and sometime at work in Hawaii, I moved back to Hong Kong. And it was really, really tough for me for the first at least six months to really adapt back into this lifestyle. When I first moved here, um, or I should say right before I moved to Hong Kong two or three years ago, I had one of the craziest mushroom trips ever in my life. It was a month before I moved. So a lot of things were going on at that time. Like my mind was really unstable. I had like a much post mushroom PTSD. <laughs> I was recovering from that. And when I moved here, I was lost, man. I was like, I want to be in nature. I want to be around the trees. I want to live in a cave but I'm surrounded by um, millions of people in this little city. And, you know, I have to find a way to float. And that's what happened, man. It's like you're playing the enlightenment game on a hard mode by going into a place (laughs) where there's so much like where everyone's carrying the same vibration of uh, materialism and and all that together. Like I've, I've uh, kind of come to the intuitive thought that like, my life should move away from dense population centers if I can. Like right now I live in a town that's not so terrible. It's like 150,000 or something. So it's not, it's nothing like the density of uh, Hong Kong or New York, but even, even in a place like this, you find yourself occasionally um, coming up against resistance for what it is that you're trying to accomplish in the world if it doesn't jive with the cultural norms, even if it's just something simple, like I don't want to eat factory farmed meat anymore or go out to restaurants. Like uh, the big part around here is restaurant culture. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of families that probably cook twice a month at most. And I'm not like, that's not coming from a place of being judgmental because I was one of those people. I was raised that way. I lived that way myself for a while, but then whenever you start trying to change that in yourself, I want to cook. I want to make sure that I'm always eating organic and fresh ingredients. I want to know where the source of my food was all of a sudden, one of the biggest cultural um, shared things that people have, which is eating together becomes uh, people will use that as like a barrier to not want to connect with you in a way. It almost like buffers you out of hanging out with certain kinds of people because some people only want around here only want to hang out in the context of like going out to a bar or going out to a restaurant or something. 
So it's just automatically like, no, I don't, I don't want to go. And then you start moving into that place where old friends are no longer like in your circle. And it gets, it gets a little lonely kind of because, you know, you're just trying to do what's right for yourself. And if you have like a psychedelic perspective, then you're coming from the idea that whatever work you do on yourself is work on the outside world too. And will like, you know, be the one thing that can make an impact on the outside world. Um, but you know, you do, you also do want to go back and try to reach those people that were close friends for a long time that you see getting more and more down into like an alcohol based depression or, um, stress based depression or relationship based depressions. And it's rough because you sometimes you lose the ability to communicate with those people and you just have to wait until your orbits kind of come back around with one another. But don't you think that you're moving past that point where they are stuck at? Because that's what happened to me. Exactly. Um, me and my good friend, Patrick, who I've had on my podcast numerous times, we're like psychedelic brothers. We take psychedelics together and go on these crazy journeys. Um, me and him, we always hang out with this group, um, with like, I don't know, six or seven people. And before in the beginning of that, group we will always just hang out and maybe go to raves go to bars and uh you know go to their houses and have like dinner parties and just drink and the more and more me and patrick developed into this psychedelic realm into this spiritual awakening journey for lack of a better word we want to do those things less and less we don't want to drink so much. We don't want to hang out at that bar so many, so, so many times a week. You know, even once a week is like, I don't want to get drunk, you know, because getting drunk is for me, it lowers my energy level. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like it's taking me away from the spiritual experience more. Like it's the opposite place of meditation for me. You just get obnoxious. You, you're not mindful. You're, you're, you're sloppy. And I don't like that at all, man. I want to be sharp. I want to be here, you know, present. And it's being almost, I was going to say, how about like, how about using podcasting as like a gauge as to whether or not you're doing things right in a sense? Because like, mm-hmm. for me, you, you mentioned alcohol being a depressant to your energy. I've been trying for a long time. And a lot of times I'll blind myself and become self ignorant about, you know, one thing or another that's causing an energy drain. But I've been trying to live by the idea that I'll do whatever makes me have more energy and avoid doing what makes me feel like I have less energy. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like very simple along with just that simple and a good gauge for that. For me, of what my energy levels are is how well, how productive I am with creative tasks and how engaged and like, in flow I am with it and less mechanical, but like actually in a creative flow with those tasks. Right. So yeah. like if I have the mental energy at 10, 30, 30 minutes before I go to bed to draw and really get into it and get into a flow, then I can look back on my day and go, I meditated in the morning. I did my Qigong at one point during the day. I got a good exercise in at the rock climbing gym. Um, I didn't mentally pursue anything that was going to drain me, whether it was an anger or some kind of negative relationship or toxic, um, toxic interaction with a person or eating something that was going to drain me. There's like a list of things I could do 
that I have measured with my own personal experience that either up or lower my energy levels. And one thing that's helped me like really keep track of all that is just journal. Just think about the day before, think about all the things you did. And if it made you feel like you could do more, if it made you feel like you had less energy and cause you should, cause you can feasibly go to bed with like enough juice left to do a lot of stuff. If you're keeping your charge, your battery full, you know, you should still sleep, but I don't know. Creativity is like the gauge for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Taking care of myself. Yeah, you definitely feel it. And you know it when you're on the ball, you know, and whenever alcohol for me, at least is introduced into a weekend. Well, that night I'm not doing anything. And then the next morning I'm probably hung over. So there goes an entire weekend. So you know, back to the story, it's like me, me and Patrick, we don't want to hang out with that group of friends anymore. Not because, we have disagreements or arguments because like we have like different paths now, like they're stuck on this, on this level and it's not higher or lower than, than our level, you know, it's just a different path. But then we are on this other path where like, we want to enhance ourselves. Like we want to optimize our, ourselves. We want to have fun in this moment, you know, and not have fun in terms of alcohol, but more like a clear minded, mindful awareness type of fun. And we want to have conversations where we inspire each other and, and just, you know, spark epiphanies like we were yeah. mentioning earlier. So me and him, man, we're like, dude, like we have conversations like this all the time where we're like, Hey, are you going to, um, so-and-so's party? And I'm like, man, I don't really want to. And he's like, I don't want to either. Cause all we're going to do is drink. It's like, why don't we plan something more fun? Like, you know, camping or, doing mushrooms under stars or something like that, you know, like it's, but it's hard to find those people in your real life. As, and, and, and also like, it's hard to find them within your friends group. Usually you discover spirituality or psychedelics or things like that. And then you have to go out and seek that fellowship. You have to go out and seek that, those, those tribes, but it's hard to, you know, have your own friends come on this journey with you. I, I just don't think that, I think sometimes like 10 people could take psychedelics or could go into an, live in an ashram and only two or three people walk out with a spiritual insight and want to discover spirituality or psychedelics or look more into it. Seven out of 10 people or eight out of 10 people will think it was a fun experience and that's it, you know. Some of those people might just have gone so deep. And in some cases, people go so deep beyond what their ego is prepared for that it just shuts off the memory recording function completely. And who knows what experience they have. It might be something that's deeply transformative on the soul level and comes back around in some way physically to enhance their life. And they don't even make the connection. Right. I mean, like, because I know I've had plenty of dreams or deems experiences both where I don't really remember exactly what happened, but I know I have like this sense that something meaningful changed or something, you know, that's something happened. And so with psychedelic use, it also probably depends on just how dirty the filter is of that person's ego, as far as like how much it's blocking their chakras, which I don't claim to be an expert on chakras. From what I understand though, it's like a set of, kind of screens or lenses around energy centers of your body that depending on how much debris you've built up spiritually uh, without clearing it out, 
will determine like how much it tints or completely blocks the light and color coming from that part of yourself. Mm-hmm. So again, like that connects back to what we we're saying about things that give you energy th- versus things that take energy away. Um, and things that bring you in the present moment versus making you feel disconnected, like alcohol is a disconnect. Uh, meditation and psychedelics, both of those, I think, have the possibility of sort of improving your spiritual hygiene and right, yes. clearing, cleaning off some of those filters and screens. Um, and that's maybe why you have just more juice in general after whenever you do those things uh, regularly. I mean, you don't want to do certain psychedelics all the time. They're more of like a break glass in case of emergency thing, whereas meditation is like, uh, you know, sweeping the temple on a daily basis. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. And meditation is definitely my go-to. I do it every morning on at least on weekdays because on weekends <laughs> I want to sleep a little later. Sounds like me. Yeah. You know what, man? I think that it's fine to not every, meditate every day because Agreed. you're meditating forcefully Then it's not really meditation, man. You know, meditation is supposed to be relaxing. You're supposed, I get really, really high, man. Sometimes when I meditate for a long time and I think it's just that I'm detaching myself completely with my, societal roles and norms and expectations and responsibilities. And I'm just back to square one. I'm back to baseline. soul. I don't even have a name. I don't even have a gender. You know, it's just, I'm this spirit floating in infinite space. And whenever you have that, that's when I really, really love meditation. And that's the reason why I keep going back to meditation. I think meditation is the most powerful practice we can do in the psychedelic spiritual world because we can do it every day, you know, like with mushrooms or ayahuasca or LSD, you can't do it every day. And if we do do it often, sometimes we can get lost. You know, we don't know how to make sense of it. There's so much information download that you don't know what to do. You're not going to have a shaman every time. And even a shaman fucks up, you know, just because the guy's a shaman doesn't mean he knows everything in the world. I've seen plenty of shamans going back into the real world and they are just not on the right path, you know? So you need an integration period for using those things kind of, uh-huh. that's going to be different depending on the individual. Right. Right. So I think meditation is the most powerful tool by far we have. And I think that it's really overlooked and underrated and no people think meditation is some kind of, you know, Buddhist monk activity that only is reserved to them. And if you do it, then you're, you know, you're weird or you're a fucking hippie, <laughs> but man, it's, it's fucking awesome, man. Like I think people just don't know how to meditate, man. And, and especially living in this time, you know, we have cell phones, like we have computers, we have notifications and that keeps us going. Our brain jumps from one thing to another within seconds and we're so used to that now like i'm living here in hong kong and i walk down the street and there's ads everywhere and these ads move these ads are on lcd screens they're humongous and even if you look at an ad for more than 0.5 seconds you get really bored and i find myself getting really bored man i'm like okay where's the next thing where's the next thing i'm on the train all the time man and i'm listening to audiobooks i'm listening to podcasts so my ears are already um, stimulated. My brain is stimulated. 
then I have to look at my phone and check my Instagram, check my Facebook, check. I want to do something with my fingers. My eyes need something to look at. So all the time we're masturbating our senses, all of our senses. And we need the time to stop. We need some time to just quiet down and shut all those things down and just be in silence. But we don't have a chance for that without meditation. Float tanks are cool too, but I don't have access to float tanks all the time. I mean, they're, I mean, listen, I love float tanks, man. I love them, but it's not convenient and it's expensive and I don't have one in my house. So if I have to have, if I need to float every day, it would be a pain in the ass. So meditation is the way to go. Uh, I completely agree with you. I don't have to go too deep into it, um, but I can just say without a doubt, it changed my life when I learned how to meditate. Mm-hmm. I learned how to change myself when I learned how to meditate. Right. I basically learned how to discipline myself with one thing. And then after that, I could start disciplining myself with other things. But before that, I had no discipline. Lost a bunch of weight from learning how to meditate. Um, never necessarily, like, because I learned how to discipline myself with exercise after that. And I didn't even keep up the habit on a regular basis for the whole time since I've learned how to do it. I will say, though, the more often that I can do it as a regular practice, and if I can do like 20 to 30 minute sessions when I do it instead of like five to 10, the more likely I am to go into that void space you're talking about where that's where you really start to get recharged. Like the ego just completely vanishes if you, uh, if you really get in that right brainwave state and the more often you do it, the easier you entrain your brain to jump to that state, both whenever you're meditating and whenever you are maybe kind of thrust into the astral realm from psychedelics or something, or even, who knows from the experience that you might have whenever you die and your blood, your brain is uh, flooded with DMT and all of a sudden you can either be completely overwhelmed by the vastness of the information that is presented to you in the form of the present moment of reality that is no longer filtered by your brain because it's shut off or you can either be overwhelmed or you can find that calm, quiet center, regather your sense of self separate from ego, release all your fear and just reconnect into the sort of eternal charge and discharge yin and yang nature of reality and what we are as sort of symbolic universes in our in and of ourselves. But for me, a lot of times, if I'm not meditating regularly, then when I do sit down to do it, it's just trying to breathe. Right. Right. I feel like it's like, uh, it's a, it's an exercise for your body too, man. It's like you're sitting down, not doing anything takes a lot more work than one, one might think, you know, I'm really twitchy. Right. It's hard to actually sit down and not do anything. And, you know, when you first exercise or run or go to the gym, you know, first five, 10 minutes, it's going to be, your body's going to be cold. You're going to do some, you know, silly warm up exercise to warm up your body. And I feel like the first 10 to 20 minutes of meditation is just that for your mind. You're simply trying to settle yourself and not, get bombarded with mind thoughts and, you know, and, and things that you're, you're thinking of what's for dinner. What's, what's my girlfriend doing? You know, what's, what's, who, who am I going to book next on my podcast and things like that? I think that's what the first 10, 10, 20 minutes. And then after that, you start diving deep into 
the void, like you said. And that's when things get, get weird. And that's when you dive into your heart and your breathing kind of disappears almost. Cause in, in the beginning you focus a lot on your breathing, man. Like that's very, a, a very Buddhist approach to meditation where you focus on your breath and it's your anchor. Right. And then afterwards your breath kind of fades away, your body fades away. And you're just in this realm of space where I, I describe it as like just kind of bungee jumping and you're in midair and there's nothing, there's nothing to grab onto and you're just in mid space. And I think that's the space, what it looks like to me, at least like you're just, but not, not in a chaotic way, but it's just like, there is no anchor anymore. There's no ground. Cause one of the things that I heard Chogun Trumpa say was, and he's incredible. And I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, but he said that if you're focusing your mind or your breath on one body part way too much during meditation, then you're really not in balance because you're still relying on that body part or the breath as an anchor. And whenever you're, you're putting all your weight on that point and what, where's the balance, then you're still not balanced. So in reality, when you meditate, you shouldn't really focus on one thing. You should focus on everything mm-hmm. because everything is one thing as well. So you essentially focus on nothing and allow everything to be right, right there. And then it's, it's a weird paradox to even try to describe. Um, have you ever, speaking of weird stuff that's happened when meditating, have you ever had the experience where you are in that sort of void like state and, you know, well, to back up a bit, when you're in the part where you're just breathing and trying to get into, you know, that and train your brain down into that different uh, wave pattern, like I think it's theta that you go into when you're meditating. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, you have these thoughts popping up that are like, you were saying like, what am I going to do with my podcast? What am I going to do about this at work? Oh shit. My car might be about to explode. If I drive it again, is it going to be okay? You know, all these things like come into your mind and you have to go through and close all of those things down as if they're like programs running on your desktop and they're bogging up your memory or like you have too many tabs open on your brain's internet browser. So that's exactly it, man. The beginning is doing all that. And sometimes stuff just pops in there. Right. And you go, Oh shit. Okay. Well, I didn't even realize that that was stuck on, but now I know because you see it and you, you close it but it gives you even like a little bit of awareness about a part of yourself that you didn't realize was in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're zooming out in many ways. You're, you're zooming out of that whole, um, explore that lens because uh-huh. the way that you described it was, it's kind of like going to Google Chrome or, or God bless if anybody's still using internet explorer, you know, it's, it's a browser and then you're having these tabs open and I have like 20 tabs open right now, you know, on different things that I might go back to. But then meditation, you're not closing those tabs necessarily. Those tabs are still there. Right. And you're realizing you have 20 fucking tabs. You know? <laughs> Instead of like being like completely drowned in those tabs, you, you, be, you see all those tabs at once. You know that Mac, on a MacBook, I don't know if you have a MacBook, but on my MacBook, you have, you can, you have a button to press. No, that's exactly what it is. So like right. when you're meditating, you literally are creating space in your own consciousness. You are expanding the boundaries of your consciousness. So all these things that were 
so big and taking up so much space before get smaller and smaller. You can right. see them all. So how weird is it than when you expand further out and meditate into a deeper and deeper state of like relaxation and sort of forgetting about the body by being completely in every aspect of the body. Have you ever had the experience in that state where things pop up in your mind, like trains of thought or in scenes or even weird entities that are not at all related to anything in your daily life that you ever heard of. And all of a sudden you're thinking about them um, and realizing that you're thinking about this and seeing it at the same time that uh, you like it's disappearing right as you realize that it's there. And then after it disappears, you totally can't even remember what it was that was there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So yeah. That's it's even weird. weirder. Cause that's stuff that's inside you that you don't see until you expand further and further out. And then you get some of the really weird stuff. Like I've had straight up what you would call DMT level experiences from like their low, low grade DMT experiences. Mm-hmm. Like I only took one puff or something, you know, unless right. it lasts for like, a couple, like two minutes, but then all of a sudden you go, Oh wait, I'm not looking at that. I'm sitting here meditating. It's usually in the float tank. It's really crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Definitely. Like I've seen light. I've recalled memories that I forgot a long time ago. And it's like, you're accessing some random access memory and you're seeing them in HD or 4k. And you're kind of reliving that that scene almost. And it makes me wonder if time is actually linear or is it like a 3d? I don't know if you've seen the movie arrival. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to give it away, man. It's like fucking great movie. I, I just I actually it. don't care if you do, but maybe the audience would, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it anything, but, um, man, if you guys are interested in, in the concept of time, go watch that movie, man. I just saw it yesterday. So I'm pretty like pumped about it, but, it's a, uh, it's one of those mind fucks move mind fuck movies that make that makes you think. And actually, I kind of guessed the ending of it because I've explored the uh, the infinite universe uh, theory and how time is not is nonlinear and we can access um, multiple universes at the same time. So that's what the movie is kind of about. I don't want to give anything away. Um, the premise is about aliens but it goes into all that stuff and it's a really great movie, man. I highly recommend you to watch it and the audience, whoever's not, haven't seen it yet. And, um, but yeah, in in meditation, man, I, I really don't know what happens because if you look at it objectively from a scientific standpoint, let's, let's say a scientist puts you in a room and puts all these meters on you and stuff and you start meditating. On the outside, you're just sitting down, dude. You're sitting down with your legs crossed, with your hands in a weird position sometimes, and your eyes closed. Like, what are you really doing, man? You're just resting. But then all these things start to happen, man. Like, your brain gets changed. Your heart rate drops. Your stress level drops. You're entering these, like, psychedelic, sometimes, like, LSD, DMT states, and you get high. Like what, what is really going on? You're not doing shit, dude. You're sitting down and and listen, man, all the time in our daily lives, like we try to look for happiness, man. We are on this pursuit of happiness all day. Like at work, we're trying to make money with money. We're trying to buy things that make us happy. We're trying to find the perfect 
spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend to make us happy. Every day we're on this nonstop pursuit of happiness. But then you can sit down and just be happy, man. Yeah. All you got to do, you don't have to do anything else. That's all you got to do is find a quiet spot. You don't even have to find a quiet spot. You can find a spot that's loud as fuck. And you can make that into something that you're okay with, something you can be at peace with. And then soon enough, you'll drop into that meditative state. And then you'll find happiness, man. That's where real happiness lies. And it's almost like you're actually... It's like you're not even uh, asking the question of, am I happy or not anymore? You just cut that out as a variable and you just be there in the present moment. And the present moment is such a rad fucking thing that even when you have your eyes closed and you're not even looking at it from the outside, there's something amazing happening on the inside. Whether that's just pure peacefulness and experience of the void and the infinite self that you can achieve whenever you're in the blackness or you make contact with some alien in your own mind that only lasts for a few moments and then you can barely even remember it afterwards. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 awesome. it's, it's really, it really is awesome. And, but you know what? I don't think that people can meditate easily these days. I think that we're in the Kali Yuga, which is a dark time of humanity in terms of spirituality and, and, um, hard mode. Are, and people, you know, like that's what they talk about in, in the Hindu texts. And like back in the Egyptian days, we were in a very enlightened time. People were getting enlightened left and right. Like it was really easy to be enlightened. It was a golden age. But now we're in this fucking dark time. And actually we're, we're getting out of it right now. I think somebody told me we're on the tail end and we're getting out of the Kali Yuga so we are stepping out of the dark age, but nonetheless, it's still dark as fuck. <laughs> and it's really hard to, for people to be enlightened and meditate, but we still have these new technologies that are emerging like float tanks and VR that are, you know, pushing us into the direction of mindfulness, of awareness, of peace, you know, Tours like ayahuasca is like going super popular right now. You know, I've had a, uh, a friend of the show of my show, uh, contact me back and forth. And I think he's in Peru right now taking ayahuasca and, and, uh, you know, these things are really popular now. And I think that we are rebounding from that, that dark age, man. Like if you look at the past hundred, 200 years, it was nothing but, you know, dark shit, dude. Like we had world wars, we had genocides, we had, you know, these unimaginable horror. Right. <laughs> and I think now like we're with the internet, with technology, like we're pushing back into the direction of the golden age. And I'm thrilled, man. Like I'm, I'm really excited for, you know, float tanks and more and more people will be introduced to the idea of meditation through this pod, you know? And science itself seems to be finally learning that you can turn the microscope inside instead of just outside. And like, right, right. it's been so obsessed with, for, the, for several hundred years, with just figuring out every little thing, measuring everything. And because matters of spirit and matters of like consciousness are so hard to pin down and, and measure at all, they've been really just 
ignoring that side of reality. And then as soon as psychedelics popped up in our culture, um, because of their threat level, I guess, of changing the status quo too quickly, they get suppressed really quickly. But now we're in an era where psychedelics are more readily able to be talked about, where there's more and more research going on. And I feel like that is representative of science starting to, like I said, turn the microscope around, look at self instead of look at the external reality. And because, you know, you've got John Hopkins University studies with psilocybin showing that they, they are, give spiritual experiences to people if they're done in the right setting, set and setting and intention. It's like a lock. You're going to have an experience that matters to you for your whole life, especially if you've never done it before. And then you've got like PTSD suffering soldiers and just regular people getting real healing and treatment from stuff like MDMA and really LSD is finally getting research for the first time in decades. So um, I guess I, where I want to go with this is a, a question I've been meaning to ask is what is it like being sort of the prophet of the psychedelic Renaissance in Hong Kong? Because, you know, I, I don't know cause I haven't been there, but I have to imagine it might be more um, strict about like what, what is acceptable versus the way things are going here or are, is the tide turning there the same way that it's turning in the United States? I would say no. Um, I mean, I'm probably the only guy out here that, that is speaking about it. Um, but you know what, to be honest, I'm not really speaking to the Hong Kong audience. True. My, my audience is in the States or in UK or Canada. I have a couple in Sweden as well. Um, so shout out to Sweden, but uh, <laughs> you're still shining a light in the, in a dark place, I guess. Like, to be honest, I'm not, I don't have an audience, you know, like I don't, it's not like I'm target marketing my podcast to the people of the U S or Canada or whatever. It's just, I'm putting myself out there and I let it be known. I live here and whoever wants to listen tunes in and for the most part, they're Americans and I love it. But then if you want to talk about the current state of psychedelics in Hong Kong, it's not looking good. I mean, we have people here are, are really traditional in many ways. Um, when they, they, they're pretty open to weed now, I think due to Western movies and culture and they see weed being legalized in, in many States um, recently. That's a big first step though for a culture. Mm -hmm. So recently in California, they see that and there's a lot of kids, man, that grow up here and they fly to the U S for college or high school. And afterwards they come back to Hong Kong and they kind of bring that back with them. And we is a lot more popular now than ever before. And I think that that's where it begins. Psychedelics aren't really a conversation yet because it's kind of scary. You know, it's, um, even in the States, man, it's, it's scary. It's like, people don't want to see wizards. They don't want to see <laughs> elves, you know? So, and people don't really know the, the medicinal side of psychedelics. They don't know that it can treat PTSD or depression or anxiety. That information only seems to be getting out there through podcasts themselves, honestly. Yeah, man. And the great people at maps, they're trying, but, um, for as far as psychedelics goes, it's 
like full blown psychedelics. It's, it's hard. And, um, in Hong Kong, it's even harder because people are just traditional. Um, and to be honest, the political environment here is really unstable to a point where we have bigger problems to tackle before we can start looking at these, um, drugs to legalize. So people in Hong Kong, they're furious about the Chinese government. Um, they're, they retaliate against the Chinese government whenever there's a pop, there's a chance. So that's their fight. You know, I think every nation has their own fight with, with their, their liberal community or their um, conservative community in the States right now, drugs, they're part of it. Right. And then you have the liberals fighting Trump or you have, <laughs> um, people fighting gun, gun ownership. That's the current fight of the U S right. The current fight of Hong Kong is they're opposing the Chinese government. They don't want the communist party to take over Hong Kong. And I wish that drugs would be part of the issue because I think it could solve a lot of problems, man. Like there's a lot of hate and a lot of, um, I guess just, you know, separateness in, in this city. People are very discriminatory. Uh, people hate mainland Chinese people. And it's a, it's a real stressful place to be. There is a constant uh, battles going on between the locals of Hong Kong and the outsiders coming in from China. And I think a lot of that could be solved with, you know, some mushrooms, man, you know, a little bit of mushrooms will make us realize that we're all one people. You know, if you look at the U S and look at the race wars between whites or blacks or Latinos and how they're different from each other physically, it's very apparent, right? Like a white guy is, has white skin, a black guy has black skin. It's a really apparent difference. And we as human beings, we're tribal. So when we see something that's different from us, we tend to be scared or we tend to not like them or hang out with our own people. But in Hong Kong, it's really weird, man, because the people that Hong Kong people hate are mainland Chinese people who looks exactly like them. So here we are and we have this like separation and from people that are exactly the same as us, but just cultural difference. And if you look at the whole situation, it's really funny. And it's like, I don't even know why we're fighting because at the end of the day, we're just one fucking species, you know? So when it comes down to it, it's all cultural and there's a lot of politics, but I feel like all that shit washes away and is bullshit. Whenever you have seven grams of mushrooms, you know, whenever I've had, whenever I have DMT or seven grams of mushrooms, I don't even look at culture. I don't even look at the color of your skin or who you are. You know, I just it literally doesn't exist anymore. So I think that with everything going on, not just in Hong Kong or China, but in the States as well with Trump, with guns, with ISIS, all that shit could be washed away with some mushrooms, dude. You know, it's really that simple. I mean, of course that is an easy way to, to put it, but we need a lot more work to be done but at least we can start there. We can start with some mushrooms and we can have a conversation after that. Like, do you still hate, you know, um, 
black people or Latinos or white people. If you have seven grams of mushrooms, like if you still do, then take more, man. Take more. <laughs> I guarantee you, if you have that transcendental breakthrough experience, you're not going to see those differences anymore. You know? So I think that's one of the main things like that we need to realize. And that's one of my main goals as like a guy that talks about psychedelics is to make people realize that we're not separate at all, man. We're all the same. And that's one of the main messages that I got from taking psychedelics or meditation or float tanks, man. We're just one fucking thing, dude. You know, all these things and practices, um, whether it's the psychedelic catalyst or meditation or a float tank or any other thing that you do that kind of separates you from your ego a lot. Yeah. When we do that, we come down to a core sense of self and that core sense of self exists in every living creature. And for all we know, it might exist in every atom of every speck of dust in the universe. We don't know one way or the other. And so since everything is also working in this weird quantum field of um, sort of being affected by observer affected by consciousness, like whether or not things turn out one way or another, I assume you're familiar with like, just even the electron, for example, being a wave or a particle based on it, based on, you know, observational. So in that sense, you could postulate that everything that exists in the universe or everything that is, is sort of hosted in a larger consciousness, like the same way that your body is the host of, millions and billions of cells and bacteria and different individual life forms that together form a whole that, and if you zoom in on those cells further and look at their atoms and stuff, you see a composition that's mostly empty space that resembles very much the, you know, the greater external universe that you look at above you. So in that sense, like everything is sort of the same thing, but you're just looking at it in a different place on a big infinite looping continuum. And everything is within, nested within a larger mind. Like all us humans are within what you would call the Gaian mind for our planet. And then there's maybe a mind that is hosting our solar system, possibly. Maybe there's a mind that's hosting the galaxy and just goes further and further out. And um, these, since we all exist in the same mind, if that's the case, then all these divisions that we have are actually just perceptual and all the only thing about what we are that's actually true is that shared sense of self that we all can achieve whenever we obliterate the ego so i guess that's why it's such a powerful form of control to convince big groups of people that they have all these differences like you're straight you're gay you're white you're black you're conservative you're liberal the more differences they can implant into us the more divided we become it's almost like you can put that in a weird as above, so below connection to just how big the population is getting. We're literally dividing more and more and more in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. It's just, it's just, you're, you're just right on the money with the whole idea about psychedelics being a way to show people at least that we have a shared sense of self. And of course they're not the end all be all cure because people then have to integrate the lessons and do the work. Um, I guess my, I wanted to know, like, do you consider yourself sort of a crusader for this movement or do you just think you're doing your own thing and it happens to involve talking a lot about the truth and that's just what you like to do? I don't know, man. That's a weird way. That's a weird way to put it. Like, crusader. 
But like, do you consider yourself fighting a fight about it? Or do you think that you're just doing your thing and in doing your thing, good things happen? Yes and no. Yes and no, because I'm just doing my thing, right? I'm just like, I have, sometimes I'll have guests on a show that won't talk about psychedelics or spirituality, simply just a guest I want to talk to really. And, um, so in that sense, I'm just doing my thing. But in other ways, like, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to make a difference. I'm trying to educate people more and more about the worlds of psychedelics and its benefits and the potentials of what it can do. And also the other side, because psychedelics is a very multidisciplinary thing. Like on one one side, there's a medical side, there's the benefits, the potential that brings. The other side, there's a spiritual realm where you go into a mushroom trip and you meet the octopus or you meet the gods and the entities. So those are very interesting to me as well. And I really believe those exist, not just in the realms that we're tripping on, but there exists everywhere around us. We just don't have the the lens to view them and to interact with them with. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm trying to talk to more and more people and educate more and more people about this subject because I think it is overlooked. I don't think it's talked about enough, if at all, by mainstream science. It's just pseudoscience according to the mainstream and people look at it as uh, fairy tales. And I don't think they are because people that are saying that they're fairy tales, they've never had that those experiences. They've never taken DMT. And whenever they hear a guy talk about their DMT experience, it, it sounds funny because it is funny. You know, it sounds crazy because it is fucking crazy. So, and you know, two people have the same experience with DMT. That's a weird thing about that one. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and also I have like personal family and friends that are experiencing like heavy PTSD and heavy depression. And whenever I'm, man, you know what, this year, uh, not, not this year, but last year of 2016, I've had two family members get really sick from mental issues and also like physical ailments like cancer, for example. And uh, I've had to go into the hospital with them to get diagnosed, to get treatment. So for the depression case, it's like, okay, I'm talking to the psychologist and <laughs> he, he's asking all kinds of questions. And at the end, he just prescribes her some fucking Z um, Xanax, dude. Oh my gosh. And it breaks my heart because... I'm sitting there and I, I'm a guy, I talk to people <laughs> that have the, the, the power to heal her. You know, I talk to shamans. I talk to people that prescribe ayahuasca, LSD, or, you know, all these different ceremonies that can help her. But then I'm fucking powerless, dude. Like I'm sitting there extremely powerless because how am I going to explain this to my 65 year old aunt that has depression, you know, how am I going to explain, explain that to her that this fucking mushroom is going to cure her and not this pill in a, 
in a cool case, you know, it's heartbreaking too, because they've been indoctrinated for so long that they literally believe that there's only the, only the medicine of the, the hospital is what could help them. Exactly. So that's the barrier that it was really hard for me to cross because, and at that point I knew that I have to keep doing this podcast because I'm sitting at the doctor's office and I'm like, okay, well, um, he's prescribing her fucking Xanax and I'm here. Like I, I'm try- I want to tell her that, Hey, if you come to me and let's go to Peru or let's go to Mexico, we, we can fucking cure this thing. Then that would be awesome. But I can't man, you know, because she would look at me like a fucking psychopath. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're going to take me to Peru to take some fucking Amazonian brew to cure my depression are you fucking crazy i wish you could make that that request though i wish that like it's literally heartbreaking to me to even think about that situation because it immediately connects me to my own situation like i have a grandma that's in really poor health and mental health to the point where she's no longer like safe to be by herself because she does crazy stuff like won't get out of won't get out of a chair for so many days in a row and just pees on herself and everything and like just for some weird bid for any attention at all, even if it's negative and has like driven away anyone that would maybe want to visit her because she's just like always in a sort of crazy state about like, it's, it's really hard because that kind of person might really break down some of those mental barriers that they've been trapped under for decades with one breakthrough experience with psychedelics that like it's almost like their higher self is no longer able to even reach them i had a friend actually who just talked to me about being in like a nine or ten month fugue state almost where he literally can barely even remember what he was doing because he was in such like an unhealthy state mentally and physically that he just turned into like a sleepwalking zombie and then one day it was like oh he's back like something got really high or something and he sort of like his higher self or his soul or whatever came back into his body and he woke up again and he started trying to like improve his life again and some people get into those states of sleepwalking and they just never wake up again until i guess until they leave the body but then we were talking about before about how you know meditation is a way of preparing yourself for potentially for death because you have the ability to stay still in the face of anything that might be scary that you might encounter outside of your body like those people that are so, so sleep, so in the sleepwalking and so like fearful because of the way they're programmed and because of how rigid the, the blockages are that are in their physical body from different unhealthy practices, they might maybe like plummet into a worsened state psychologically or spiritually after death, as opposed to being like liberated and taken into heaven. And that might be even what scriptures are trying to talk about whenever they give us the concepts of heaven and hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to put it, man. And I think there's some truth to that, man. Of course, nobody knows what's really going on, but I think that meditation is definitely a great way to start to prepare for your death. And when you start meditating, you, you soon find out that everything is impermanent and, so is our physical body and our time here on, on this earth and in this incarnation. And I think once you realize that, then you'll be liberated, man. And um, there's a lot of fear of death that's go- that goes on in our society. And that's the root of all Western culture. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I was talking about 
my family members having diseases. And there's another one that my uncle just got diagnosed with cancer pretty recently. And, you know, he's taking the whole thing with a lot of good intentions and, and positive vibes, but that my auntie who is the wife, she's not so well. So I'm trying to, you know, comfort her as much as I can, but I also have to let her realize that, you know, we are all impermanent, you know, like our time here is very limited and we have to live every moment of every day in the present. Cause, because if you start thinking about death, if you start thinking about, Oh my God, he's, he has cancer. He's, he might die soon. And you're not really enjoying your time here. You know, you're not enjoying his time here as well. And you're really doing the time at this service. And when, whenever something like that happens, like a, a family member dies or a family member is close to death, you start realizing the, the fickleness of life. And you know, I've been in, in, in and out of hospital these last few weeks. And I start seeing people that are dying, man, on their deathbeds and people that are very close to knocking on the door. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a really crazy experience because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not in the hospital if at all normally, but now I've been going in and out of hospital and I'm starting to see death and I've been coming close to death, like physical death. You know, I'm familiar with ego death and what it brings. But with physical death, man, it's something else because here's a person that's about to leave this incarnation and go on to the next. And you imagine the things that he must be going through or things that he might be thinking of. And you also have to think that where he's going to go afterwards and all those thinking just leads me to that one point of, the present moment and that is the most important time the present moment and that's the most important thing you can do is to be here now and live this moment to its fullest because if you're indoctrinated with the fear of death like we are in the west then we're really doing ourselves a real disservice you know like we're we're it robs you of life while you're alive Right. So what's, what's the point of doing that, man? It's like, if you go to vacation and you're in the Caribbean, but you're thinking about work, yeah. uh, like, like what's the, what's, what's the point of that, man? So that's one of the brutal things about sort of the nine to five structure of a lot of people's lives in the West is being stuck to that, to the point where you're always thinking about it when you're doing something else. I have to say, I appreciate our conversation up to this point because you've totally got me to stop thinking about time. And I just noticed it's 1111, which is hippie o'clock. And, uh, you know, I told you I'd keep you for an hour, but if you have time to go another 20 or so minutes, I'd love to keep talking because it's really interesting to consider like the ramifications of death as a concept in the, on a psychedelic level. Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay, cool. Cause I've been thinking a lot about, you know, you were bringing up the Egyptians and just past civilizations and different po points in human cycles where if there's an infinite cycle, then there's been time times when we were as a group enlightened and then times when we go through these dark ages. Right. So, um, I've thought that because everything is kind of, or everything is contained within the uh, medium of mind, 
and every aspect of reality that's tangible is only accessible through experience. Uh, and that's what consciousness even is, is sort of like the experience of self experiencing reality. Um, maybe, you know, I know you've had the, if you've had a lot of psychedelic experiences, you've seen the way that your core belief structures create the reality that you're living in. And right, when you right. dissolve aspects of those or forget aspects of those, then things disappear. Like you forget things about enough about your ego and you're in that black void space. Like mm-hmm. that's just what it's, it's interesting. So like, I've, I've been wondering if maybe there's a, a way that different aspects of humanity have found a way to think differently about life and death to kind of cut out the dualistic way of looking at reality in the first place and be in such a balanced state that they know that they're part of a continuum and they don't ever have to like go through that physical separating from the body type of thing and reincarnation cycle. Like maybe, maybe life being like a set of lessons with death at the end is a sort of bandaid on a wound that we have as psychologically uh, sensitive beings that are infinitely uh, connected to the infinite stream of information of reality. So like the life experience is helping us prepare to go back to an infinite state because whatever was there was too hard for us, or we were just born we were just born and we're new or something. And we have to be trained before we're given sort of the keys to the car of cosmic enlightenment and superpower. So like maybe though, if you can change your belief structures about life and death and change the way you look at dualism, you just get to jump to the next level. And instead of having your, your nurturing be in the form of like having a bandaid on that is your life that gets ripped off at the end. Instead, you have some sort of smooth transition. I don't know. I've been really interested in trying to make smooth transitions in my own life, not just the death part. So I, I've always wondered like maybe there's a different way because we're in an infinite universe. Um, maybe there's a different way to exist that doesn't even involve life and death cycles or duality. Yeah, man, it's definitely interesting. And it leads me back to the movie of arrival because they (laughs) talk about that. And man, it's hard not to talk about it without giving anything away, but the way that I'll say this is that they talk about language and how are you, are you bilingual by the way? Um, no, I could say that I know some words and I understand the structure of romance languages, but I don't have another language that I can speak. No. So like I'm bilingual, right. And like, I can speak English, I can speak Chinese and then, the way I think about thoughts in my head, sometimes I'll think about them in Chinese, sometimes in English, but then whenever I'm thinking about those thoughts in English, I'll think like an American, right? If I think about it in Chinese, I'll think like a Chinese person. Or even if we think about a certain subject in a British accent, right? We can all imagine that. And we would kind of adopt a British way. Like all of a sudden we, we love soccer or we love tea or we love fish and chips. Sort of, it sort of makes sense. Like you're thinking about a certain subject in that language. You naturally tend to adopt that country's norms and beliefs. Language is now, like software. Right. Now, if we go deeper into religion, into spirituality, like me and you, we have this concept of, like we are, we're quote unquote spiritual people. 
we meditate, you know, we are into esoteric stuff. We do psychedelics and we have this belief, this ingrained belief that there's reincarnation. There is, you know, the Atman, there is the void, there is uh, the black hole. And so when we start to think like that, we're really limiting ourselves to those possibilities, right? Then if we adopt a certain way of thinking, if we completely shift that around, then every possibility is infinite and possible. We just don't know what those possibilities are. And we don't know how else to think because those are the ways that it was presented to us either through books or psychedelics. You know what I mean? So like, those are the only ways that we know how to interpret that experience. So we use that as our language to perceive that psychedelic experience. But then if we have, if there's an alien that shows up into our psychedelic world and, and teaches us a different mode of thinking or different language, that's not as linear as ours today then we would adopt that as well. And our changing would completely shift. So what I'm trying to say is right now we're using the lang the current language of McKenna, of um, Ramdas, of Chogun Trumpa. And that is our language. That is our English. So when we adopt those language, we think like them. But then there's also millions of other ways to think. We just don't know those languages yet. You know what I mean? So I think that the possibilities are endless and there, it doesn't have to be dualistic or life or death or incarnations after incarnations. It could be the possibilities could be endless, but we are just, I think every reality is subjective and this is our subjective reality. You know what I'm trying to say? I completely understand. Uh, what you're saying also made me think of some podcast bro science that I'd like to drop. I'm pretty sure this is something I heard on like Joe Rogan. You know what it's like whenever you say there's a study that I heard of one time and you can yeah. just Google it guys if you want, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I heard someone smart say that there was a study that demonstrated that when someone is bilingual and they put them up on like an EKG and get other uh, biorhythm markers of a person, they actually have different baseline biorhythm indicators whenever they're speaking in one language for speaking in another. So like your resting heart rate will be different. Your blood pressure will be different. All these little things that kind of give you a physiological fingerprint of uniqueness to yourself and your health in that moment can literally be influenced by what language you're thinking and speaking in. So in that regard, like you might as well be schizophrenic in a sense, because you have like multiple personalities that you're loading and deloading. Right. Um, and so like, that's another aspect of psychedelia that gives you so much power is you start to realize that those are just programs that you can load and you can unload. And mm -hmm. if you, if you don't identify yourself with any one mode of thinking or any one way of being, you don't hold on to any epiphanies or anything like that for longer than they last in the present moment, uh, you're able to do what I've heard described as putting yourself on the shelf. And wherever you're at, whether it's like a fundamentalist religious church meeting or um, uh, you're meeting with the generals of the joint, joint chiefs of staff or you're talking to Ramdas, wherever that place is, you can be present. You can be the true self. You can be um, able to tap into what it is that these people around you are getting out of their cultural beliefs and rituals 
and you won't have this ego-based barrier that keeps you from understanding them, you'll see how they're just doing the same thing that you always try to do in their own way. And you may or may not adopt what they're doing or uh, choose to condone it. But like putting yourself on the shelf, I guess, it's just a way of, um, you get a lot more information. You know, you're not having all this mental resistance. You can just, for the moment that you're hanging out with a group of Christians, pretend that you're one of them so that you can kind of get into their heads and see if they have anything useful. And then you have a form of mental MMA going on where you're able to incorporate and integrate the best ideas all the time and never be tied down to any one ideology or thing and just be shifting and in flux, which is like the way of the Tao, which is what life itself sort of is. It's an ever fluctuating, changing thing. So like really the ego is this skin that hardens around us and prevents us from seeing what our true self is trying to express to us in that moment. And it's not like the ego shouldn't exist though, I guess, because like we need to have our coordinates and ID here on physical planet earth to be able to coordinate and like call each other at the right time and do a podcast and all that kind of stuff. So it's a weird, it's weird. (laughs) I think it's a defense mechanism that needs to exist for us to, to be productive and to, to survive in the world, but we can't view it as, our one and only savior. It is our friend. We can make it a friend and it is a tool. And I think that a lot of people over identify themselves with their ego instead of looking at it as a tool. And when they do that, then they become very aggressive and very dangerous. And those aren't fun people to be around. But if you have the awareness to separate yourself from the ego and use it whenever you can and to detach from it and it's necessary, then you have it right. But it's always going to be a push and pull. That's one of the mo- the the things that I learned this past year is this whole world is composed of polarities and both are equally as important and we need push and pull the ego and the selflessness always with a push and pull and we can't be completely selfless. We need the ego as well. So we need half of each and they both keep us healthy. If we have too much ego, that's not good. If we have too much non-ego and that may not, may not be good either because you're not going to be getting shit done on this earth, on this incarnation. So I think with everything you need to push and pull you need to balance and avoid one polarity kind of. Right. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially in this field, right? Like me and you, you interview people all the time and people I'm sure to contact you and they're like, Hey bro, um, it's all about love and light, man. There's no hate. There's no, um, I met that guy last week. <laughs> <laughs> he hit me up on so a Facebook like, message. Oh, really? His name's Paul. So- <laughs> Shout out to Paul. You're a good guy. I really love you. But those people, like they, I'm not trying to promote negativity, but you have to recognize negativity is there. You can't just, you know, shove it under a bed and pretend like the world is great. You know, I think the people that are doing that are really blind and they are at a state where they're in denial because you have to see that you have to see the world for what it is. The world is not all love and light, but it is not all bad either. So you have to see both sides and you have to use both sides to your advantage. And 
just like I had talked about earlier about living in Hong Kong, there's a lot of negative sides to living here, man. Like, don't get it twisted. It is a struggle to live here. On the outside, it is chaotic as fuck, right? It is overpopulated. The air is horrible. The cars are aggressive. And there's no trees. But on the inside, for me, I have to create that polarity. If the outside is horrible, then inside has to be fucking awesome. So that's when I grow. That, that is how I grow is because I see the outside as this place that needs a lot of work, needs a lot of improvement. So I can't be that, that same thing on the inside. On the inside, I have to create a sense of peace and sense of groundedness, a sense of space. It's completely a polar opposite from the outside environment of Hong Kong. That is my inside. So I think you need both to push you. You can think of it like charges. Like whenever you're grounded and neutral, like you're talking about because of your practices and someone comes at you with um, some kind of polarized perspective, like they're mad about this or that. um, Usually what happens to people that are not grounded is now they're mad too, or now they're a little sad too, whatever it was, they get that negative charge, but a grounded person encounters the negative polarity and then grounds the other person and they, like they aren't able to hold, like at least while they're in your vicinity, they don't get to hold on to that negative energy in quite the same way. Like they might be able to keep it internalized, but it's not going to be like polluting the entire area. It's almost like you can sort of um, literally neutralize it just by not letting yourself get polarized in the same light. And it all comes down to like being able to see the connections between between the two polarities of things and like understand why, like where the person is at and why they are feeling that way. Maybe. Um, And polarities are a strange deal in the first place because they're, they're kind of an illusion. If you have differences, then they can only exist because the things are similar in a way on a spectrum together. Like uh, presence is the absence of absence and absence is the absence of presence. Like without the other one, they couldn't be. So every, in this way, all things are connected, even things that seem completely opposite. Right. We need each other, man. That's, that's what it's all about. And I think it's whenever people encounter stressful situations or, um, you know, places where they, they don't want to be or negativity, it's a good chance to grow, man. It, it is a, an amazing opportunity for you to practice where, what you You've been practicing all along, man. It's easy to live in a cave and live in an ashram where everything is really peaceful and you're by yourself. But it's another thing to be around your family, around crying kids, around cars that are trying to kill you and remain peaceful at that state. That's when you get it, man. That's when the rubber meets the road. Because what is meditation for? It is for those moments, man. It's That's what it's really for. So... You know, I think that it it takes, it really takes a lot for people to understand that these bad things are actually good things and everything is your guru. Just like I think Ramda said that, I forgot who said that, but some really, really cool person said that everything is your guru. You just have to recognize that it is your guru, you know, but if you don't recognize it, then it's going to continue to harm you. But once you realize it's your guru, you start growing from that point on, man. From that point on, you start growing. You head towards the betterment of yourself and your your soul 
and you're on a path towards better things, whether it's enlightenment, I don't know, but you know, that's where it starts, man. And it's people, it starts with meditation it starts with awareness. It starts with mindfulness. And I've said this way many times, but you know, it is one, it's one of the, the easiest things you can, you can ever do in your life is meditate. It's one of the easiest things, man. Like people climb Everest, people would do the Wim Hof method and, and go to, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro naked. People would, you know, do a lot of crazy things, but meditation is the easiest thing you can ever do. It is also the hardest thing you can ever do because it is hard to get good at meditation. It's hard to master meditation, but all you got to do is sit down and breathe. Can it, can you do that? I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this podcast can do that, but who's doing it? You know what I mean? Who's actually meditating every day has a regular practice going really deep into meditation. Nobody that I know of really, you know, I'm barely holding on to a practice over here, man. It's like, there's so much to do that. It's really easy to convince yourself not to do it. Right. Yeah. There's so much distractions in, in this world that sitting down and not doing anything so, sounds really stupid. Like, why am I going to waste my time doing that? You know, but it is the starting point to the spaceship towards enlightenment. It's, it is. That's where every fucking journey begins. And it's the easiest thing to do, man. But nobody does it. Nobody is free to, you know. So one, I once met our mutual um, hero, podcasting hero, Duncan Trussell, uh, after a show of his. And I asked him, like, what what does it mean that I go out of meditation for long periods of time? Like, am I, is this really bad? Like, do I need to just drop everything and make sure I get back into it. And essentially he made, he said something along the lines of like, you go out of your practice so that eventually enough stuff piles up that you have to go get back in front of your altar or sit down. And then you remember the benefit of meditation. And cause like there'll be times in your life where you feel like you don't need it. And then you're not necessarily even engaging it in the same way. But in that moment where you really need to just pause and breathe and you find and everything's piling up and getting worse and worse another way of like metaphorizing it it would be you have a couple of cats and you haven't scooped you haven't scooped their uh, cat litter for a week and like every day that you go without doing it the smell gets worse and worse but you also get used to just blocking it out and blocking it out and blocking it out but it's basically poisoning you more and more and then the day that you finally, it's really hard to finally go in there and scoop all that shit. And that's what it's like for people who haven't meditated for a long time, or maybe never have. It seems like as dangerous as going into um, a 30 pound pile of cat litter shit and having to scoop it out for, for 30 minutes. And it, it can feel like that. But when you're done, your entire environment is going to no longer smell like cat shit. And it's going to have been worth it. And guess what, man, that pile of shit that you've been saving up all that time actually made your meditation better because that time when you're meditating from that pile of shit, it's like you're clearing that pile of shit all of a sudden. All of a sudden you have this space 
It's like having a phone with only 16 gigs of, of uh, storage space. It's my life right now. You have like 15 gigs right now. And then all of a sudden you clear everything and you have only one gig used and you're like, holy shit, man, there's so much space that you realize that you never, you're not going to realize that you have that much space unless you almost run out. You know what I'm saying? So everything leading up to that point has gotten you to where you are. So even if you're not meditating, even you're stuck in a pile of shit right now, or you're in depression or you have cancer, whatever the case may be, it's leading you up to a better place. Only if you have awareness, only if you one day realize that you can do something with it, unless you do something with it, then it's going to lead you down to a long road. But you know what, man, if you discover meditation, if you discover mindfulness, awareness, then all you can, it's like magic, man. You can turn all that shit into gold. (laughs) Alchemy. Yeah. It really is, man. You know, but it's only if you discover awareness and I don't want to sound like a cult leader. It's like, bro, we got to discover awareness. It is the the new thing. You'll turn your power shit into gold. That's really what it is, man. It's like, once you are aware, then everything that you thought was rubbish is actually gold. And every asshole you bump into on the street that wants to fight you is actually teaching you something. And, you know, if you enter with the world with that kind of mind frame, then there's nothing that can stop you, man. Really nothing. Well, Ed, I've really enjoyed this conversation, especially that we got so deep into meditation because kind of like maybe you experienced, there's not a lot of support for this type of thing in my close ecosystem. I know I have friends who do meditate and stuff, but it's still not like usually the topic of conversation and not that it needs to always be the topic of conversation. And maybe we even went on too much about it for some people's taste, but like, I can't emphasize enough how much it changed my life. It's the most important thing that I've ever brought into my personal daily practices toolkit. So, um, with that being said, I really appreciate that you were here. I'm going to let you go in a few minutes, but I wanted to make sure that there was not anything you wanted to plug about psychedelic milk, your podcast. We didn't talk about it a whole lot or like where you'd like people, what you'd like people to check out, where should they start? Like, um, anything along those lines? Yeah, man. If you guys are interested in this type of, um, conversation and I'm sure you guys are because you guys are listening to chance and this awesome podcast. Um, I, I also have a podcast called psychedelic milk. We have conversations like this and many more. We have some cool guests on some really cool guests. Right. We have Dennis uh, McKenna. McKenna. We have, um, Duncan. We have Steve Maxwell. We have, uh, you know, shamans from every fucking retreat, you know, of, um, yeah, man. If you go to psychedelicmilk.com, you'll find everything there or we're on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for psychedelic milk and you'll find it. And uh, yeah, man, dude, thanks a lot for having me here. I really appreciate it. It is an honor for me to speak to you and uh, you're an amazing host and you're a cool guy. So I'm glad to have a new friend, man. You really, really am. That's how I feel about it too. Honestly, that's one of the biggest things about podcasting that I didn't understand would be a thing is that like, I'm finally making real friends that have a deep connection. Like how often do you even get to sit and talk for an hour and a half with somebody? It's hard. So like I, 
I loved it. This was one of the most fun episodes I've ever had. I say that to everybody because it just gets more and more fun <laughs> yeah. to do this, but um, I'm glad I have you out there in the podcasting fight with me, brother. I hope to do this again. You personally have an open invitation back to Interverse anytime you want to talk about anything. Yeah, and for sure, man. I'll have you on my podcast as well, dude. Let's do it. Oh, man, that would blow my mind. Okay, well, we'll schedule that. And uh, yeah. yeah, awesome, man. I guess Thanks, we'll go man. ahead and wrap up the episode. Uh, everybody, make sure and go check out Ed at psychedelicmilk.com. Find him on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever medium you use for podcasting. You can probably find him there. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Love you guys. killer episode makes me feel like i need to go meditate though stay tuned for aurelian pumayana flore a visionary artist living in australia that'll be the next episode you will not believe some of the craziness that that guy creates so psychedelic i guess i'm on a psychedelic theme right now anyway thanks for listening i love you all don't forget to go check out my new patreon at patreon.com slash interverse pledge me a dollar or three, or five. There's great rewards at every level. Go check it out. All right, I love you. Go make something cool.